1 Samuel chapter 8 talks about Samuel had told the people of Israel, when the Lord showed up and routed the enemies, he instructed them to raise up an Ebenezer stone or a memorial. And so this morning, what I'm going to share with you for about the next few minutes is an Ebenezer stone in my life. It's, it's a memorial. It's something that took place when I was about 14. The title of the message this morning is just keep on knocking. We've been talking about ask. And I'd like for you, if you would, please just to rehearse the acrostic with me. Everybody say ask, seek, and knock. The three-letter word ask has these three commandments that are in the progressive present tense. Literally, if you read it in the Greek, it would read ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And he answers it by saying, to him who asks receives, and to he who seeks he shall find, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. This morning, I just want to take a few minutes and I'm going to conclude this series on ask and I'm going to talk about persistent prayer. Everybody say persistent. Persistence is when you don't quit. It's when you don't give up. One, one of my heroes, Sir Winston Churchill of the World War II period, one of his famous quotes is never, 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 never give up. And I think that it is appropriate this morning for us to remember that Jesus said that it's good that we should pray and not faint, King James says. Another translation says that we ought to pray and never give up. And look at your neighbor right now and say, never, 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 never. give up. Yeah. Now, if you're wondering what was just on the screen, there are some phone numbers and there is a tweet symbol that says, or a Twitter symbol, at Victory Wired. I'm going to take uh, tweeted and texted questions this morning after I share for a few moments a testimony that the Lord has done in my life. This is an Ebenezer stone in my life. The word Ebenezer means thus far has the Lord helped us. In other words, they put a stone there at the place where they had a battle against the Philistines and God showed up and routed the enemy and so they put a stone there and wrote the word Ebenezer on it. Ebenezer means God showed up here and he showed out and routed our enemies the King James translates, translates it, thus far has the Lord helped us. I would just ask you this morning, if, if, does anybody in the room have an Ebenezer stone in your life where you can go back to and you can point and say, I prayed and God came through and he answered my prayer and he delivered me from the hand of the enemy? I see hands going up all over the room. Ebenezer stones are places in your life where you know that you met God there, that you were in a place of desperation and God spoke to you and he showed up and he answered a prayer, sometimes not the way you might have originally thought he was going to, but he did come through and he, he did it on time, sometimes not on our timetable, but he's always on time. And so I just want to say to you this morning, as we finish this series, just keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. I'm going to let you stay seated this morning, but I have three texts that I want to take time to read just through these three passages, and then I'm going to hit the ground running with the testimony that I have. The first one is found in Luke chapter 11. So if you would just look at one of the screens... Jesus says, imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old friend traveling through just showed up and I don't have a thing on hand. The friend answers from his bed, don't bother me, the door's locked. My children are all down for the night. I can't get up to give you anything. But let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground, what? Everybody say knocking. Look at your neighbor and say knock, knock. If you stand your ground knocking and waking all the neighbors, he'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Here's what I'm asking or here's what I'm saying, he says. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in here. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the father who conceived you in love... Oh, come on, somebody. Don't you think the father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? No neutral ground belongs to the next section. 
Um, I want you to go ahead and give me Luke 18. Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. He said, there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him, my rights are being violated, protect me. He never gave her the time of day, but after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But, everybody say but, I love this. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, everybody say knock, knock. Because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Come on, everybody say knock, knock one more time. <laughs> then the master said, do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? Then the master said, okay, give it to me, next one. Is that it? All right, the passage goes on to say, will God not protect the elect. And when he returns, when Jesus returns, will he find that kind of faith on the earth? Everybody say faith that is persistent. Everybody say don't quit. Don't faint. Keep knocking. One last scripture and I'm finished. This is just a singular one. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. You probably have heard this in the King James. It says it this way. Do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. This is in the message. It says, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good at the right time. Everybody say the right time. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, thank you for the amazing awareness of your blessing, your protection this morning. Father, for a moment, when the smoke began to billow out of that, that intake and this room filled with smoke, I stood here and I thought, okay, if this all ends up in ashes, God, I know you've got something better for us. And I just want to thank you, Lord, that you protected us, you kept us. I thank you, Father, today for this time in your presence that we honor you. We, we acknowledge your goodness to us. You absolutely amaze us. You overwhelm us. I just say in your presence and in the in the hearing of these people, I cannot do anything apart from you. Holy Spirit, come and do what you do and only you can do, and that's teach. You are the teacher. You bring all things into our remembrance. You open the hearts of men. You do what no eloquent speaker can ever do. You can do in a heart, in a second, what, what man can't do in a lifetime. God, we thank you today. We honor you. We give you praise. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. I wanted to take this opportunity to just talk to you for a few moments about persistent prayer. I, uh, I grew up in a home that loved the Lord. My grandparents walked with Jesus. My grandfather had some typical alcohol issues until he got saved in the 1920s and got baptized in the Holy Spirit and God turned him around. Um, my, my parents... Walked with the Lord and taught us four children, two brothers and a sister. And uh, I grew up in a home that in the 1970s, I was born in the 60s, raised, reared, really came of age in the 1970s. And I had grown up in church. I started playing for the church youth group where we went when I was nine. And by mid-year, I'd been playing six months for the youth group. And the person who was the pianist for the church moved they, her husband got a transfer, and uh, so they asked me to bump up by the time I was 10 years old, and I started playing in big church at 10. And so just sitting in service and worshiping in services where the presence of God is like this, and from a young age, we always, where I went to church, we always had a mixture of the races. I just, I, I always grew up having an appreciation for different styles and different fields of music. And just, we just loved the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and so at a young age, I, I, I began to, to do that and got, had practice. And, and um, we had a piano in the home that my mom bought, I guess, back when I was nine. And I sat down and started playing. And the very first song that I picked out of was the Battle Hymn of the Republic in B flat. It's kind of crazy. But I immediately had an ear to hear it. I could hear the music and I could just 
hear it in my head and I could pick it out on the keys and started taking music and took about 20 years of classical training as well as developing the ear. And uh, along the way, I started playing the organ in church, moved from the piano to the organ, and it's a little bit different, a little different touch, a little different technique, and, and uh, always wanted one, but my folks were just poor folks. Daddy was a mechanic for John Deere, um, well, I think worked as a mechanic for N.S. Garrett and Sons out at Proctor in the 1960s, uh, made a transfer to uh, Critton Implement Company up there now, uh, I think Greenway owns it. But he's just a little mechanic, and mom was a floral designer. She, she worked for about eight, seven, eight, nine dollars an hour uh, arranging flowers. And so I made up my mind when I was 13 that I, I wanted an organ. I just said, I want, I want something in the house where I can learn how to begin to play and, and perfect some skills and actually take my talent and build it into a skill. And so I started out trusting God for uh, a Hammond because that's really, this that's sitting over here, I just want to tell you, uh, I've had since April of 1975. And um, you, you turn on Jay Leno, The Tonight Show, you flip over to Letterman and you'll see Paul Schaefer with a whole rack of keyboards all built around that exact instrument right there. You go to a black church, you go to Rum Boogie Cafe on Beale Street, you go to a jazz club, this is the standard sitting right here. It's called a Hammond B3. I tell this story about every four or five years in the church because I think that it helps people see that when you break through to touch God in something that you're trusting for, believing for, how it can literally mark your life to believe God for bigger things. And so I started asking my folks, I said, I, 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 want a, I want an organ. I just believe God, I want one. Well, mom says, well, son, honey, we don't have the money to do that. Just can't do it. We, 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 we don't make that kind of money. And so I started out believing for a little T500. And without taking you through all the details of this, it could take me an hour to tell the whole story, but I'm going to reduce it just to about 20 minutes. And so I, I started believing for one, and then I just realized that's not what I want. And I bumped it up to kind of a medium level. And I said, you know, before, within a month or so, I said, that's not it. And I ended up saying, you know what? I want the cream of the crop. I want the best there is. I want the B3. That's what I want. So I went to... Funds, spelled P-F-U-N-D-S, on Union Avenue in Memphis in the 1970s. And I sat down in the store and I played and I took some, some brochures home. And this and the, the speaker right behind it in 1973-74 was listing for just under $6,000. In 1974. Okay? And so I looked at mom and I said, well, do you think I can get one? She says, well, honey, if you do, it's because God's going to give you a miracle because I sure can't buy you one. I said, okay, well, that's great. Let's, let's, let's believe God. And I'd, I, we, I'd ride to school and mama dropped me off at school and I'd say, how long do you think it's going to get me to before I get this and before I get the Hammond, the B3? And mom, and mom says, well, you know, uh, uh, God prepared Moses for 40 years on the backside of the desert before he got him ready. And I just looked at mom and I said, thanks. And I, I, think, I think it was the awareness of the fact that my parents were doing everything they could to give me everything I needed and some of what I wanted. And let me just tell you something. I think that this, this time in my life set something up in me. It impressed upon me. That word that I read over William Lewis this morning. Impress these upon your children. My mom didn't have the ability nor my dad had the ability to go write a check for $6,000 with taxes, what it would have been. But they said, you know what? You can trust God because God is able. He can do more than you can even begin to ask or think. And I think sometimes today we work so hard to give our children not only everything they need but everything they want and we cripple their future success because we give them everything they want right now. And we remove any sense of drive or ambition to believe for something in the future, to delay gratification instantly but to save and to think about something that may be out there with a little distance to it. And I, I, I attended a full gospel businessmen's fellowship meeting. I was 13 at the time, and Kenneth Copeland was preaching at the Rivermont Hotel over there, the Holiday Inn, which has now been converted into some condos right over there on, uh, as you, you come down Riverside Drive at South Bluffs. And, and my family went, and a lot of folks were going. There were thousands of people there. The charismatic movement had hit Memphis, and Methodists and Baptists and, and Catholics and Presbyterians and Lutherans, and all these different folks had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And businessmen were, were seeing God move in their lives and their businesses. And this was an awesome meeting. And nobody had ever heard of Kenneth Copeland. 
Copeland yet, and he preached a message that he called Desire, Decision, and Determination. And I'm a 13-year-old sitting there taking notes while young Ken Copeland is preaching. And I hear that he says from the word, Mark 11, 23, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And I heard that, that, that if I had faith as the grain of mustard seed, I could speak to the mountain. And if I wouldn't doubt in my heart, but believe those things which I asked God for, it says he would move and blow the mountain into the sea for me. And so I began to trust God that if God had put a desire on my heart and he'd put a gift in my spirit, in my heart, and, and part of my personality to be a musician, to, to, to be someone who could be skilled to bring the presence of God to the people of God. I said, God, it's not asking too much for me to have something and let me have something good. I don't want a piece of junk. I want something good. And so I set myself to begin to trust God for it. And I set myself on the best instrument that I knew there was out there. And I put... Uh, I put the brochure up on our refrigerator and I took one of those little one of those little label makers. You remember that had that little tape that would come out? And I sat there and I squeezed out Mark eleven twenty three 23 through 27. It took me about two hours one day trying to punch one letter at a time. <laughs> Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. And I'm sitting here and that's one letter at a time. And man, I'm building that wrist up. <laughs> I took that and mom comes home from work and on the front of her refrigerator is six lines of text that have been put on by a label maker and underneath it is a, is a piece of gray duct tape holding up a picture of a Hammond B3 and every time I would walk by I'd slap the refrigerator and say bless God that's mine in the name of Jesus 13 year old crazy kid and a poor family that said son we can't do it if it happens it will be a miracle I start trusting God, and I do not know how it happened, but people started hearing about this 13-year-old kid that was praying and fasting three days at a time and trusting God for a breakthrough, and I was knocking on heaven's door, and I was seeking God, and I was asking and not quitting. I was doing it and keeping on doing it. And people started hearing that I was trusting God for that, and a school teacher in Mark Tree, Arkansas, and I won't tell you her name, She's married to a prominent businessman right here in West Memphis right now who owns a thriving business. She was not in church at the time, and she started sending me the tithe off of her school paycheck. Never asked her to do anything. $200 a month in 1974 started coming to my house in the mailbox addressed to Michael Smith. God is my witness. Today is my little mama's 87th birthday. She's in the hospital this morning and has the flu and I pray for the strength of God to be upon her. Because in all of this, she kept saying, Michael, we can't do it, but God can. And she kept marking me. She put it into every one of her children. She, she said things like this to Dewey, trusting God for things that he was believing the Lord for. And she marked us, she impressed upon us that we could believe God for things that man said was impossible. Because she taught us that with God, nothing is impossible. And finances started rolling in. Nine months later, and I'm leaving stuff out of the story in order to be able to keep this in a, in a reasonable time frame. I'm on a three-day fast, and it's a Friday afternoon. And when I was fasting, I was not eating any food, and I had only water. And I was going to school every day. I was in the eighth grade. And I was praying, and I was coming home, walking down Reading. And I just crossed Ross was a student at West Junior High School. And I was walking by myself and I was praying in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And as I crossed the, the yard going on to South Worthington off of Reading Street and I'm crossing, walking across that yard in South Worthington, I hear something come up out of my spirit and I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. It wasn't external and audible out there, but it was internal and loud inside here. And I heard him say, you will have your organ within hours. And I'm in the, the patch of, of grass right there at South Worthington and Reading. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew. Give me the best argument you've got. You couldn't convince me that I hadn't heard from God because it just, it was all over me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And I knew that I'd had an encounter. I knew that for the very first time in my life that I had heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. I ran my little fat body home. <laughs> Mama, hurry up. Come home. 
Come on, leave the flower shop. You don't have to stay late today. Come on. Come on. I'm telling you. I've got something to tell you. She comes home. We get in the car and we go to Big Star, which is right up here where Payless and Rent-A-Center is. Anybody remember when Big Star was up there? Well, you'd walk in the side door and they had a commercial appeal and a Memphis press seminar. Do any of you remember when they had the, the afternoon paper that was published by the commercial appeal? Memphis press seminar, both of them owned by commercial appeal. I had been pulling the commercial every Sunday for weeks, looking in the want ads for a Hammond B3 and a Leslie 122 because we walked out of the Hammond store one day when we'd gotten the word several months before and my aunt and my mama were with me and Aunt Lucille prophesied and she, son, she said, son, I'm going to tell you something. There's there's one of these sitting somewhere around here that's got your name on it. My, my little aunt prophesied and she said, this is the word of the Lord to you. And I do, don't you give up and don't you get discouraged. And Friday, Monday 14th, 13th, 12th, 11th, Friday, April the 11th, 1975, I'm walking around the corner from Reading to South Worthington, and I hear the Lord speak to me, and he said, Son, you'll have your organ within hours. My mom came home, and we went to Big Star, and I had been buying the commercial for months looking for it, and never was there an ad. It was everything else that you wanted. Man, I could buy tubas and flutes. I could buy other organs or pianos, but never was there a B3 and the speaker that goes with it. So that day, I walked up there and I just felt impressed to buy the Memphis Press Cemeter. I purchased the Memphis Press Cemeter and I looked in it and mom is walking around the grocery store buying groceries and I go back to the car and I open up and I look at the one ads under musical instruments and I promise you, I opened that up and it said Hammond B3 and Leslie 122 for sale and it gave a Frazier number and Frazier, Memphis suburb. Mama... Mama, get that can of peaches and let's go. <laughs> let's check these groceries and go home now. Mama, come on. We got home and I'm, I'm just like brrr, 900 miles an hour telling her what had happened to me that afternoon. The fact that I'd been watching the paper for months and there never had been one listed. And I bought a press cemeter this time and there was for the very first time I saw there was one listed in the paper I said, can I call it? She said, yeah, yeah, I guess you can. Because I had told her the Lord had spoke to me and said, you're going to have your organ within hours. And so I called. The man's name is Barnett, Mr. Barnett. Um, I saw that you have a Hammond B3 for sale. He said, yes. He said, what's happened was my son bought it about nine months ago. And he says he's lost his job and he has a brand new 1973 Grand Prix and he has the payment for the car and he has the payment on the B3. And because he's lost his job, he's going to have to give up one or the other. He was in a rock band. And so he said, so we're selling the B3. And I said, how much do you want for it? Mr. Barnett says, well, how much will you offer me? And I said, well, I've not ever, not ever seen it before. And I said, give me a minute. And I took the phone down, standing there in the kitchen with the old rotary dial phone and I covered up the mouthpiece and I prayed right there in the Holy Spirit. I started praying in tongues and I said, Father, I know I heard you speak to me this afternoon that this would be my organ within hours and I know that I know that I know down in my knower that this is mine. Now, how much do you want me to pay for this thing? And immediately the number $2,700 popped into my head. I said, okay. I picked the phone back up. Now, remember now, I'm I had just turned 14 at this point. I'm a 14-year-old on the phone doing business, and my mama says, what are you doing? <laughs> Mr. Barnett, I'll give you $2,700 for it. Long, pregnant pause. <laughs> okay, Mr. Smith, I'll take it. Okay, can we come look at it tomorrow? So we drove out to... We drove out to Bartlett, and I cranked her up. I sat there, and I said, this is mine. This is it. He said, meet me at the bank Monday. We went to the bank, and in just the same kind of way that it was a crazy day, and we had the fire trucks here, the fire truck showed up at the bank that day. 
uh, actually, they'd had a bomb threat. This was at Union Planners Bank right there at the corner of Cleveland and Union. And so we walked in and we sit down with the loan officer and Mr. Barnett met us there. Sweet little lady. She says, Mr. Barnett, uh, what are we doing today? And he says, well, I'm selling the B3 and we're going to pay off the loan. So she pulls out the loan papers and, she's, and still to this point, I didn't know what the man owed on his loan. She said, Mr. Barnett, your, the balance of your loan is $2,709.12. And my mama, that day, I still have the check. This is my Ebenezer Stone in my life. It's written out right there to Union Planners Bank, and it says Hammond, Oregon, and Leslie Tone Cabinet, $2,700. And you know what? It was several years before I realized that was... 414, that was my dad's birthday. It was his 51st birthday. How old I am right now as I'm telling you this story. 414.75, and mom gave me the canceled check. She said, this might, be, might mean something to you one of these days. And uh, I just want to tell you how thankful I am for being raised in a family who gave me not everything I wanted, but they gave me something so much more powerful. And that was the faith in a God who was big enough to carry me when circumstances looked like I couldn't make it. That was the faith that carried me to trust God, to believe that when I came back here, I knew I got acquainted with hearing that voice. It was the same God that when I walked on that 30 acres out there and I started claiming that for this church, for the kingdom of God, for victory. And I heard the Lord speak to me out of the book of Revelation. He says, behold, I have stood set before you an open door which no man can shut. And I knew that he was on that land out there. What am I telling you this morning? I'm telling you that if there is a desire that puts in your heart that God has put in your heart heart. If you ask and keep on asking, if you seek and keep on seeking, it doesn't matter whether you can get the financing or not. Matter of fact, it's probably designed by God that you can't get the financing because if you could, you would do it yourself. And when you realize that it's bigger than what you can do, then that's when God can show up and show out for you. My folks didn't give me everything I wanted, but they put something down on the inside of me that knew would carry me when I would grow up and I would marry and I would trust God in the face of children that were sick and I would trust God in the face of financial crises myself that I didn't have the ability to work out because I know that I know that I know. Throw all of your atheistic hogwash at me. Tell me you just to convince that God doesn't exist. I'm telling you that I know that God cares about you and he will meet you at your point of need. That's 21 and a half minutes right there. (laughs) Pastor Alex, how many of you believe that? Do you believe God can do that for you? Now, I'm not an expert, but between Pastor Alex and myself this morning, we're going to do the best we can to answer a few questions. We've got a few minutes here. All right, all right. So, there's a number on the screen. If you have a question that you'd like to ask Pastor Mike about this series, Ask, Seek, and Knock, just uh, send it into that number on the screen. Or if you're a, a Twitter or Twitter user, you can tweet it to Victory Wire. We've got a Several coming in here already. All right, here's the first one, Mike. Here we go. Um, What are some ways someone can be more persistent in their prayer life? What are some ways? Um, Well, forgive me for being so obvious, but just pray. I mean, that's just actually do it. Show up and do it. You know, a lot of times we go to to prayer seminars. We read books about how to pray, but you learn it the best just by doing it. It doesn't mean that you have to carve out an hour every day on your knees but it means that you live a lifestyle of praying continuously. You can pray while you're driving across the bridge to your job. You can, you can breathe a, a, a whispered nonverbal prayer while you're sitting in your cubicle before you go in to make the sale. When you're trusting God to believe something big. What I, the reason I've done this series is to try to help us stretch and see that God's not just concerned with just you know, helping you pay the rent and making it through to the end of the month. And and thinking in small terms, but I want to stretch you and help you think in big terms. I take the word out. 
You will never go wrong by taking the prayers that have already been written by David and by the Apostle Paul and just praying those prayers back to God. That's good right there. Opening chapters of every one of the epistles are a prayer for the churches. And so when I just feel like I don't have anything that I can say, I'll pray a prayer of David. I'll pray a prayer of Paul. I'll pray a prayer of Jesus. I'll, I'll go to passages in the scripture and I just pray the word. And I thank you, Lord, that you are encompassed round about me, that your word is my deliverer. You are my sword and my shield and you supply all of my needs according to your... Re- I just quote the word to the Lord because he's promised me 8,000 promises in the word. And, and one of them is that his word won't come back to him void. It will, it will accomplish what he sent it to do. You will never go wrong by just taking the word and praying it back to God. Yeah, I like what you said about that. There's something to be said about consistency in there, Mike. Yes, sir. I mean, just, just being consistent and committed to the Lord in prayer. And like you said, uh, picking out your Bible and just open up a psalm and praying it. But what he doesn't tell you is he don't have to open the Bible. He's, no. <laughs> he's just already got it and he just starts praying it from memory. But, <laughs> but it, it just shows you how consistent time in the Word like this man spent for 30 years and also praying and having a lifestyle of seeking the Lord, it just pays dividends because there's going to be stuff happening to you all the time that don't, it doesn't feel right, you know, and your emotions will throw you all over the place. That's for sure. But when you go to the Lord in prayer and just, and just pray his word and trust him, I mean, he can move mountains, right? Amen. All right, here's another one. That's um, great, Pastor. And this Alex. one's tough. This one's tough. Um, I know the word says that if we pray believing that God will seek, uh, will give what we ask for, but how does this work when what you're asking for involves the free will of another? For example, when your husband has left you for someone else. Mercy. You guys are not holding any punches, are you? Uh, well, I think the answer is there in the question itself, and that is that I don't think you can pray, you can continue to pray that God will move in a person's life, in their will, but that's not something you have the ability to change. I mean, you, make, you may do it by force or at the point of a gun, <laughs> but ultimately when you put the gun down, the will hasn't changed. And uh, let me just say that I, my heart is broken I've seen this scenario over multiple times over 30 years of ministry, and it breaks my heart when one is trusting God to see a marriage put back together and the other one doesn't have the heart for it. And uh, I don't think there's an answer. I don't think I would ever tell somebody, okay, you got to pick up and go on because you have to make that decision in your life. Uh, I, I, I know that there are those who just have persisted and kept on and things have changed, and there are those who persisted and kept on and because another person's will is involved, you don't have the ability or the power to manipulate that. And um, sometimes you just have to get up, get up and move on and say, like, like Job, Job prayed and he said, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. And Amen. for me to, to, to give you the testimony I just gave you in the last 20 minutes, I do not want to give the impression that everything I've ever believed for, prayed for, has come through like that. God will always answer, but it may not always be the answer that I want. He will say yes, or he will say no, or he will say wait. Okay? God will always give you an answer, but it may not always be the answer that you want. And that's because he is sovereign, and he's all-knowing, and he sees what's laid out before you. And he can answer and bring blessing in some absolutely amazing ways sometimes. Mike, if I could tack on to that. Please do. You that have little little children or kids, or maybe you have kids that are out of the house. I mean, you know, sometimes your kids ask for stuff that's not really too good for them, you know, like, hey, mommy, can I go play in the street? And you're like, well, no, right? Because they don't understand the dangers that are there. Uh, And so you're just giving them counsel that they don't quite understand yet from a maturity standpoint. And and think of God and us and how much more vastly uh, infinite his knowledge is than ours. And another thing is one thing that I've learned in my life is is that sometimes when I'm, I'm thinking that God's not answering a prayer because of some other reason, he's really working on me and he wants to change my heart. And so he's not giving me something that I want right now so he can do some work on me. He's still building something out in my life. That's and, true. And, of course, I wouldn't desire that, but it's something that, that he, he needs to be done. Only by not answering my prayer at that time could he do that work on me, right? Yes. Um, here's another one. This is a really tough question. How do you tell the difference between a desire that is from God and a fleshly desire? Well, I think that you have to discern whether or not it's something that's going to benefit the kingdom of God. The scripture says, Psalm 37 verse 4, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Now, man-centered interpretation of that is, hey, if I'll just spend some time in the Word, God will give me a new Lamborghini. Well, I was wondering if that B3 prayer would work for a Lamborghini because I was wanting a red one. Uh, we're not saying that it wouldn't be the will of God in some person's life if the circumstances were right and it was to advance the kingdom of God that a Lamborghini prayer request couldn't be answered. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying you have to back up and discern whether or not what you're praying for is just something out of your own heart or your own desire. And that's when we have to basically take our desires to the cross. The scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So ultimately, there are desires that I have that have been fleeting. There are desires that I have that I know that they just don't go away, that they're down in my gut, that they won't let go of me. I know that it's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. There's a difference in that because it grabs me. Something grabbed me 23, four years ago when we came here to start this church and it's just really been in the last three or four years that we've begun to see the fruit real. Now, there was fruit along the way, but it was not to the degree we're seeing it right now. And I just want to tell you that if, I've, if I have lived anything in front of you, and I'm not trying to break my arm to pat myself on the back, if I've lived anything in front of this church it is this message. What I've preached to you today is an Ebenezer in my life. It is I do not quit. A lot of guys who started churches back when I started this one quit after a year or two and picked up and all of a sudden felt called to go somewhere else. Matter of fact, hey man, how are you doing? How's the church going? Well, I've moved to Dallas. The Lord called me to plant a church there and I wanted to go well, now, wait a minute. I thought he called to plant, you to plant one in Nashville. What, did God change his mind or what? Amen. See, just because things are a little rough for a season. And let me just tell you right now, we've broken through. We've broken through. There was a season where I couldn't get anybody to cross that threshold because this was a storefront church. And now we don't have room to hold everybody. And it's, there was a season, unless you, were, unless you had the name of one particular denomination in this city, you couldn't build a great church. And I'm not going to say the name of the denomination. It doesn't matter anyway. But everybody and their brother, there are more of these than there are people around here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So it pretty much was the prevailing. So I didn't quit. I just didn't quit. No. I, I even had an offer for a church in South Africa in the Garden of Eden of the world. And my wife said, oh, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> and I said, oh, yes, hallelujah. And God said, nope, it's not for you. I've called you to the Delta. That's good. All right, a couple more real quick. How do you know you're praying for the right things when you pray for something that you want? Is that not selfish? That sort of ties on to the last one. Well, John, um, James chapter 4 says you have not because you ask not. Yeah. Or you have not because you ask amiss and you ask according to your own lusts. Now, this is a difference in where you have to discern what is the desire of God for your life. And this is where you learn to prove. Be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Three things, good, acceptable, perfect. That's just where it, you just have to pray. You ask and you keep asking. And when I was asking... God kept growing my faith. A T500 is not what I want you to have. Okay, God, I, I just thank you for the R100, for the Hammond R100 in the name of Jesus. No, I'm not giving you permission for that. I want you to have a B3. I finally stretched my faith where I grew it to where I could say, God, I want the top of the line, and this is what the Lord had for me. What I'm trying to tell you is don't limit yourself what you're trusting God for. There's some of you who have dreams in this room to have a business that is successful, and you've not stepped out to do it yet. And you know what? You're waiting on the confidence or you're waiting on maybe just the, the certainty that it'll happen. Let me just tell you, there's no faith in that. There comes a point when you have to. Jesus is on the water. Everybody's in the comfort of the zone of the boat. And only one has the faith to get up and get out. And it was Peter. And they're grabbing him going, get your butt back in this boat. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You know what? When you step out in faith, everybody else will think you're crazy. I, I, I'm sure it looked pretty ridiculous for every time I walked in the door, I slapped the front of my mother's new refrigerator that had just been ruined with six lines of label maker. 
and a, and a verse of scripture that says that he'd blow a mountain into the sea and I'd slap it every time I walked by with that piece of gray duct tape picture of a Hammond B3 on it and say, bless God, it's mine. I don't care what it takes for you to see God move in your life. Once you've discerned, look, this is not a lustful desire. It is, a, it is according to the will of God. Let me just say this. If you don't have a job, you don't have to pray twice about God getting you a job. You need to work. Okay? Now, let me say this. You're already in a good one and you're just not happy because you think somebody doesn't like you. Then maybe this might be an example of where you're wanting a transfer and sometimes God says, no, I want you to sit here and learn some people skills. It's like last Sunday when I said, you know, God taught us to pray our Father. How easy would it be if it was just me and Jesus? But no, all of y'all are in the station wagon with me. And the image that I got when I said that was Clark Griswold family vacation. That's right. We're all in the station wagon together. And the fact is, sometimes your brothers and sisters can be the most discouraging people around. Whoops. Saints, this is where we need to guard our mouths. You see somebody stepping out in faith, grow, encourage them. Don't be That's a dispenser right. of doubt and unbelief. Come on. That's it right there. Is that it? I've been informed by someone masquerading as an angel of light that it's 12 o'clock. <laughs> Thank you for that quote from 2 Corinthians, my brother. Um, I hope this series has challenged you. I hope it's helped you to stretch your faith and grow and see that God can do some crazy, amazing things in your life. Um, I want to say to you right now in this moment, the most important knock that you will ever hear is Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, Jesus says, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. This is not just about us personally asking for God to give us things. It's more than things. It's, it's healing relationships. It's trusting God for a large vision. It's staying when you have the opportunity to go. It's staying in a relationship and trusting God for breakthrough and healing and restoration when you really didn't want to hang around. There have been times I've wanted to quit, but I wouldn't even let myself consider it. So, so this morning, I just want to say to you, is, as Jesus said, this woman who kept pestering the unjust judge, who didn't care what God or people thought, he said, if I don't turn around and do something for this woman, she's going to pester me and I'm going to be black and blue from the pounding. And Jesus responds and says, if this unjust judge will answer and bring justice, how much more will your heavenly father? He will guard and protect the elect. But he says, I want to know when I come, when the son of man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Faith that is persistent. Faith that does not quit. Faith that never gives up. Faith that says, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we don't give up. You don't have that kind of ability in yourself apart from Jesus. You can't keep knocking on the door of heaven to believe God to move a mountain out of your life until you've answered the knock at your door for Jesus to come in and take up his abode inside you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to ask you this right now. I believe that there are people in this room that are sitting here in our presence in the presence of the Lord and under the sound of my voice. And I believe that God is knocking at your heart's door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said in Revelation 3.20. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It was a picture of sitting down and having intimate fellowship and a meal together. And when Jesus comes, he brings the food with him. He brings the provision. He makes a table, sometimes in the presence of your very own enemies. He provides for you. And so today, without any further wait, heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want to ask you this question. Have you crossed that line of faith? Have you walked to your heart's door and opened the door and said, Jesus, come into my house, come into my heart, come into my life? I believe he's knocking on someone's door right now. And I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call anybody to the front, but I just want you with the signifying of showing your hand, if you would like for me to pray for you right now, nobody's looking around, but if you just want to say, Pastor, please pray for me because I've heard about a great big God 
who loves me in an indescribable way. Yes, there was a hand over here. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, brother. Another hand. Anybody else in the room? Yes. Yes, I've seen about four. All right. Anyone else? Thank you. There's two more. Anybody else? Giving you plenty of time. Yes, another one. Thank you. There's a couple more. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray with me right now. Father, thank you for these hearts who've been touched to know that Jesus cares about them and knows their name, every one of them, and loves them so much that he is knocking on the door of their life. This man, this woman, knocking on the heart's door and saying, let me in. Jesus, thank you that they're responding today and they're saying, by faith, I step to the door and I say, Jesus, come in, save me. Save me from my sin. Each each of you who raised your hands, just take these words and put them in your own, in your heart. Just say, Jesus, save me. I turn from my past, from sin. You name, you fill in the blank what it is that you're struggling with. Something brought you here today in a place of desperation that's bigger than you are. It is a mountain in your life. And God says he'll move it out of the way if you'll just call upon him. Turn your back on that and turn to him. God, we repent this morning. We ask you, Jesus, to change us. Forgive us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for these you've touched today. Holy Spirit, fill them up. Just in this moment before we go, I'm talking to believers right now. Something resonated way down in your heart today. A a little seed of faith got planted. I've seen little seeds get wedged in the cracks of sidewalks and that seed would grow and it would literally move concrete out of the way and become a tree. I've seen seeds get wedged in the side of a mountain and would crack rock open and a tree would not just be a sprout, but it would become a full-grown tree breaking and moving rock. The power of faith in your life this morning, somebody, a believer who needed to hear this, you're trusting God for the impossible. It looks like it cannot happen, but the Bible says nothing with God is impossible. Somebody's faith has sparked this morning because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There are believers in this room who feel like you've just gotten a fresh seed of faith planted down into the soil of your soul and something's different. How many of you would you acknowledge with me today? There's a word that's fresh. You're going to trust God for bigger things. You're going to let God stretch you all over the room. God, forgive us when our vision has been too small. God, we've been blinded by the, the enormity of the financial problem. Lord, the overwhelming sense of a relationship that's just gone to pot. God, we have absolutely been tantalized by a problem that's like a ball and chain on us with a bondage and addiction. God, we look at that mountain and we speak to it this morning in the name of Jesus. We do not doubt in our heart, but we know that, God, you are able to do those things which you have promised. And by the word of the Lord, I decree today, I prophesy over every believer in this room who says, I reach in faith to take hold of the promise of God to see this mountain move out of my life. I speak it in Jesus' name that the mountain is destroyed. It is moved. The drug addiction is broken. The relationship will change. The finances will come through. The direction will be made manifest. The job will appear in the name of Jesus. Every need You promised, O God, that you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Forgive us when we've thought too small. We pray this closing prayer that David prayed, Oh, magnify the Lord. God, get bigger in my life. Be magnified in my life. Fill up some more space in me that I've allowed to be filled with doubt and unbelief. Fill it up with faith and let words of faith come out of my mouth. Out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. I'll speak words of life and words of faith. I just I want to lead you right now in a prayer of dedication. I just want you, if you would, to bring the lights up. I want everybody to stand up with me right now.
We live in an extremely negative culture. The Bible says death and life is in the power of the tongue. And if your focus is on what you can't instead of a God who can, come on, help me a little bit this morning. If your focus is on what you don't have instead of all that God has at his disposal to put in your hand, then doubt creeps in. Unbelief, the scripture says, if a man doubts in his heart, he's like a wind and a wave cast and tossed by the sea. James 1, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and finds no fault. But let, don't let him doubt in his heart because a man that is, doubts is a double-minded man and he's unstable in all of his ways. We pray one thing one second and then we go out here mouthing doubt and unbelief, talking all this trash and negativity. I choose to be a man who speaks the word of the Lord. I choose to be an encourager. When I see faith, I'm looking for faith in a person's life. And I'm going to speak to that faith. I'm going to call that faith out. I'm going to call you to something higher. I'm going to challenge you to come on, pull things up a little bit. and Come on, trust God and believe God for bigger things and better things. I want you to make this profession of faith with me right now. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I trust that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that is at work inside me. The greater one is in me. That means there's more of God in me than there is evil in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am the seed of Abraham because I belong to Christ. And the promises God made to Abraham are mine. I am blessed to be a blessing. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm going over. I'm not going under. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning.